Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Some of you know, some of you may not know, I've been doing this for about 11 years, so I have a lot of backlogged episodes. And uh, each Thursday, I'm going to re-release an old episode. Um, It's a nice way to look back at things, maybe learn something you you missed, or relearn something, um... So I'm going to pick the, my favorite episodes and I'm going to re-air them every Thursday on Throwback Thursdays. So check it out. It's brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Thanks. Well, today um, I have with us on the phone uh, a dynamic duo of brothers. And if you've uh, hunted in Arizona enough and if, you, if you're a, an Arizonian, You've probably heard these two guys' names. Uh, love them, hate them, whatever. These guys have been killing stuff in here with stick and string for as long as uh, as long as they could probably carry a bow. It's uh, Dan and Dave Acosta. How you guys doing? Doing good, good John. John. Thank Thanks you. for having us on. So a little, uh, why don't you give me a little bit of background um, about yourselves and, I don't know, maybe... Uh, so you're not talking over each other. Let's, you know, start Dave and then uh, Dan, you fill in, the, fill in the rest. Okay, John, yeah. Um, we basically, we were born in uh, Midland, Texas, and our father had us introduce us to hunting at a really young age. Um, I want to say it was as early as five years old. Um, and then around the age of seven, um, we moved to, uh, Arizona, kind of been here ever since. Um, I'm married now for going on 17 years and, um, I got a boy and girl twins. Crazy. So if you guys don't know Dan and Dave are twins, um, I I guess it's true what they say about that. Uh, that's a, a genetic thing that passes on pretty easy. Most people who have twins, most people who are twins have twins. So. Yeah. Definitely in my case, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, if you guys, uh, you're electrical contractors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Dave said, um, you know, we, we moved to Arizona and, um, you know, growing up as kids, our dad was electrician and, you know, he wanted to see us be electricians. That was his goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and Dave thought, you know, that was a career that we would like to take. So, uh, you know, after graduating high school in 1994, um, we went to work for the same electrical company my dad worked for, and um, I ended up working there for about eight years and decided that, uh, you know, at that time I wanted to advance a little bit further, so I went out and got my uh, contractor's license in 2001 mm-hmm. and um, pretty much started with, you know, no financial backing, kind of the hard knocks ways, and... Um, you know, going out knocking on doors looking for work and, uh, you know, it kind of started like that and 
you know, we've been in business now 16 years. Um, you know, we have 12 employees, which, you know, awesome. being self-employed is a big bonus for us, you know, as far as hunting goes because, you know, we can get away yeah. more than most people, you know, having our business, at, you know, at the point now where, you know, the guys pretty much run it itself when we do need to get away. So that makes it really nice for us. Nice. Very, very similar to my situation. Mm-hmm. Very similar to my situation. Everything about it, actually, too. I graduated in 94. And <laughs> <laughs> worked for some other people. But um, anyway, I actually met, um, it's funny, I had a guy, an AC guy over the house, uh, HVAC guy over the house the other day, and he started, He saw my mouth and stuff. He goes, do you know Dan and Dave Acosta? I said, I sure do. It's, his name is Tag Gary. He's like, I, I grew up those. I, I worked with, her, with their dad and knew those boys forever. So, That's funny. Was, small world. Small world, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I was like, yeah, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with them next week. So, anyway. Well, so... I don't know how much you listen to the podcast or not, but uh, interviews with the masters basically is just the way it sounds. We we go out, we get questions thrown at myself uh, all the time about um, you know different types of hunting and different types of situations and so on and so forth, and I kind of collect them. And if they're not questions that I answer myself, I I basically go out and find the guys that I feel are best suited to answer the question, and. Um, I don't know too many guys that kill more shit than you guys here in Arizona. So, um, basically, a lot of these questions were, were geared towards Arizona hunting. So, I kind of uh, I put them aside for you, so to speak. Cool. Um, my first question, and I'm trying to figure out. Let's see. Well, let's, let's start with this. What would you say is the three most critical factors that contribute to your consistent success? Because you guys kill deer every every year. And well, yeah. you know, I think the the biggest factor, you know, being successful year after year is, you know, knowing your equipment. You know what I mean by that is, you know, shoot your bow year round. You know, whether it's in the backyard. Um, you know, we shoot a lot of 3D tournaments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, locally here in Arizona, which, you know, I feel is a huge advantage. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, being confident in your equipment, being confident in the shot. Um, you know, most guys I know that are successful year after year, you know, tend to be really good shots. You know, mm-hmm. they, they practice a lot. They're very confident. And, um... You know, I would say for me that's that's the biggest biggest thing I think of being successful is just practice, practice, and uh, you just can't practice enough. I agree. Um, I, I think that another thing confidence is, is it's huge. You know, and and not not you know also practice you know in hunting situations. You know, even if you're in the backyard, grab a chair. You know, sh- shoot from you know sitting in a chair, um, kneeling down, shooting. You know, just any situation you think you might encounter in the field, you know, because, you know, for me, shoot, you know, shooting standing up, 
you know, our everyday routine is way different than, you know, shooting, sitting down, or kneeling, especially kneeling for me is just a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, then I would say, uh, other, I, you know, oh, go ahead, Dave. I would say, uh, you know, the top three things I think that are the most important, um, you know, obviously I like to look at it as the three P's, um, patience, persistence, and preparation. Um yeah. Dan kind of touched base a little bit. Preparation, you know, you got to know your equipment, got to be confident. Um, and then, you know, you got to have patience out there. It's kind of a numbers game. You're not going to, you're not going to go on a stock and kill every time. Um, it's almost like you learn from blown stocks and you use what you learn for the next stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of leads in, you know, to being persistent. You know, you got to stay with it and, you can't get upset over situations where they don't go your way. You know, as a bow hunter, you know, more times than not, it's not going to go your way. And That's for sure. it's just the way it is. So, um, but I agree with Dan. I think, you know, preparation um, would be the number one thing. Um, patience, you know, is a, is a really probably number two. And then just being persistent um, would be like a number three for me. Yeah. Patience is something yeah, I've yet to, to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blew it, man. I blew it on a 105-inch twos book last, what was it, last week or two weeks ago now. Um, yeah, I just, I rushed it. I started panicking that I wasn't going to get the shot, so I moved, and he caught me moving. And so when I drew back, he blew out of there. Um, but had I just sat there and waited to let him do his thing, he wasn't going to leave the damn doe that was sitting there. And I just started freaking out that he was going to leave. I had him at 36 yards. I couldn't shoot him through a bush. And I was just kind of waiting for him to feed into a spot. And he started feeding away and stayed kind of behind that bush. And then he kind of popped out and gave me a little little look at 57. So I started scooting over so I could get a shot. And uh, But, yeah, I, I, patience is something I, I've, I'm always go, 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 and I can't seem to talk myself out of it so but anyway sorry go ahead Dan you're about to give me your, your, your second too yeah you know I think you know another thing that's a critical factor as far as success is you know pre-scouting I mean you know being in the right area where the animals are at you know increasing your odds is huge you know knowing the water sources you know where the animals are at you know because you know hunting the desert We've been in areas before where, you know, I mean, you can glass and glass and glass, and there's just nothing happening, you know, especially, you know, if we get a dry year, you know, it seems like these deer tend to, uh, you know, they're more in the green up area. If you can find an area that's green, you know, there's some water sources nearby, you know, it's a big bonus. So, you know, I think getting out there, you know, doing your pre-scouting, you know, eliminating areas that aren't holding deer, you know, I think that's just a, a huge factor as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. What's your number three? Um, you know, pretty much, you know, what Dave said, persistence. I mean, more time in the field, you know, the better your odds are. I mean, you know, most guys I know that are, you know, pretty successful, you know, you know, 
like Dave said, you know, a lot of times, you know, we just don't go out there and get on the first stock and make it happen. It just doesn't happen like that. Um, you know, the more time in the field, the the more stocks you're on, you know, learning the deer, that's just, you know, that's huge. Right. You know, so um, persistence, you know, getting out there and just, you know, keeping after it, you know, it's the biggest thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think anything uh, trumps time in the field. I mean, obviously, yeah, the, I more, the more tries that you give at it, you know, eventually something's going to come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't spend much time this year, or this January anyway, uh, in the field at all. I think I got to hunt for myself like five full days maybe. It was really shitty. Uh, I, did, I did like like six half days and then, you know, one or two full days here or there, but it was just... Yeah, and it, and it, and, it, and it paid. I didn't I didn't take out this January. For, so yeah, and that's a good example, like you know. Yeah, it's a perfect example yeah. of time in the field, you know. Maybe, maybe if you'd have had another, you know, couple more days, you could have sealed the deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Was it me, or did did it seem like the rut was really weird this year? You know, John, certain areas, it just seemed like the rut just wasn't, you know, wasn't happening on schedule like it normally has in the past. Um, having said that, um, we would jump across the road to a different unit, and it was completely different. The rut was on fire. Um, it was just like night and day. So, you know, it seemed it just seemed like you had to be at the right place, right time, find a hot dose. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a real, kind of a weird, yeah, it was kind of a weird, weird rut, it seemed like, and it actually seemed like it was just a little bit later than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why that is, but it just seemed like it was pushed back just a little bit further than it normally does. Yeah, um, I just, I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. It was just, I actually felt like I saw more deer in December than I saw in January. And, and I saw good bucks in January, don't get me wrong, but it's just, um, it just wasn't as crazy like, I didn't see quite the amount of chasing. It w- and it wasn't like, usually by the second, third week of January, you can't glass up those that don't have at least one buck, even if it's a little shit buck with it, but a one buck trying to harass them, you know? And mm-hmm. I kept glassing up, you know, pretty big groups of those and still not seeing bucks at all. And it was just like, huh, you know? I, I just, I never experienced that in, in you know, all the years I've been, hunting out here um that it was that way yeah and i didn't notice that with the coos deer were fine but it was the muleys themselves like the coos that i i mean they started right before christmas and shit they're still going now uh, i mean they were mm. they're still chasing hard when i when i was down there last week and um my buddies were just i was talking to yesterday they were on coos bucks chasing those yesterday so um, you know, it's just, I just felt like the, the mules were a little, little funky this year. I don't know if it was just the areas that I was hunting or what, but. Yeah, yeah no, we, we would. Go ahead, Dan. You know, like Dave said, you know, some areas we went to were just nothing happening at all. And then, you know, hit a different area or different unit and boom, I mean, the rut was happening. You know, I. We usually find the rut hitting the latter part of December into January here in Arizona. You know, I've, right. I've harvested three three deer, you know, on December twenty seventh, 
um, you know, I usually find Christmas time and after, you know, the rut really kicks in and, you know, January for sure is usually prime time rut, but yeah, it was, was a bit weird. Um, it did seem like where we were hunting, the peak of the rut was the second week of January, mm-hmm. um, is what we found this year. Um, but it did seem to taper off towards the end of January for us. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it was just the weather patterns. The moon came at a weird time. You know, full moon came at a weird time. It was a little different. Anyhow, well, that being said, you're talking about areas. What are, what are some of the things you look for in an area? What are some of the things that help you determine this is where I'm going to start my hunting efforts? Let's, well, uh, let's, let's, let's stick to deer since that's what we're talking about. Obviously, it's going to be yeah. for elk or antelope. Or... Uh, John, one thing we do is um, we're constantly checking water sources. Um, we're constantly looking for track and washes. You know, even as we're driving, you know, from one water hole to another, we're looking, you know, for the obvious, you know, tracks. Um, usually when you find you know, a good number of tracks in an area, and there's, you know, good feed, good water, um, a lot of green up areas, you're you're probably going to find deer in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, um, you know, we, we like to use trail cameras. We do use them on water sources quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at it, you know, kind of as a, as a tool, you know, to kind of show you what's in the area. Yeah. And then... Um, you know, if you find something on there you like, you know, then you can start figuring out the area, you know, where the good glassing points are, um, you know, where you can glass from, stuff like that. And and it's just a matter of spending some time out there in that area, and you'll start seeing, you know, the animals showing up. Right. I, I stopped uh, running trail cameras on water holes specifically because I kept getting them stolen. I feel like there's like yeah. not not very many secret water holes out there anymore. Um, what do you guys do to keep your stuff from getting stolen? Just put it on there, you know, John, on there, and they know it's you guys, and they're not going to take it from you, or what? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish it was but, that easy. Um, or that's probably the opposite. They probably see your trail camera there. They'll probably set up three more and steal yours. <laughs> you know, I got to say, this last year, 2016, was the first time. Um, that we did not have a camera stolen. Um, you know, we had out, uh, you know, close to 20 cameras. Um, and, you know, we never had a single camera stolen. So that was the first for us for sure. Wow. Um, but, you know, we like to use bear boxes and we lag them, you know, to a tree and then we'll use a python lock. And Yeah. Um, but, you know, if they want it bad enough, they're going to get it. Oh, yeah. I had a python mm-hmm. lock on my bike in the back of my truck, and I only stole my freaking bike this morning. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so brand new Facebook. Yeah, brand new uh, rat power bike. It's, um, it's one of those electric bikes, and, you know, it's power assist when you pedal. And just, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I, I used it one day. I left it back there because I was going to drop my truck off at the dealership this morning. And I was like, oh, all right, just ride the bike back home, you know, so I'm waiting for a car or whatever. And then I... So sometime between last night and this morning when I drove my 
truck to the dealership that got stolen up. Freaking pissed off. Yeah, they cut they cut through that python pretty easy, apparently. Yeah, if they want it bad enough, they're gonna get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually haven't ran cameras in like two years out here because I had a really bad year two years ago. I had like four cameras stolen. I was just so pissed off. We've had our fair shares taken, that's for sure, trust me. <laughs> it, that, that's, just, that's a gamble. That's, that's the game. It's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty terrible. Um, so, we're talking a little bit about water holes. I get this question all the time, and I know what my answer to people is. I like to hear from you guys what you think. So especially like in the early season, you know, when you're planning on hunting water, um, you know, maybe sit in a tank or whatever, it always seems to rain that week, that opening week starts or something like that. And what, what's your take on sitting water when it's rained within the last two or three days and just like puddles everywhere? What's your take on hunting water that time of year? Well, me personally, you know, I feel like if there's puddles that are standing, mm-hmm. um, I think a deer, you know, in his natural feeding habitat, uh, is out there feeding, comes across some puddles, you know, I think he's going to more likely drink out of a puddle um, that's way more convenient for him, you know, than come to a water hole. I mean, you know, they say deer are creature of habits, which, you know, they they probably are to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I just feel like, you know, when a mule deer comes into water, they're so cautious already as it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, not just because of hunters, but, you know, that, that's a place where predators, can, you know, predators know that the animals go to water. Um, I just personally think that, um, for me, I, I think the odds are low for animals to hit water, especially when there's standing puddles out there. Um, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, you know, Dave may feel a little bit different on that subject. No, I pretty much agree with what Dan's saying. Um, you know, they are a creature of habits, and, um, you know, there's a chance that they could pop back into a water hole after two or three days, you know, after it's rained, mm-hmm. but you know they're going to take the easy route as well. If they can, they can get to a puddle that's already in the area where they're bedding or feeding. They're going to do that for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying you can't sit waterhole and kill one, because um, like I said, it, it can happen. But I, I think you, it just it would have to dry out. You know, the puddles would have to start drying out for them to start getting back into the waterholes. Okay. Yeah. See, I've gotten mixed reviews all the way around. Uh, you know, like I heard, like you said, you say it's a, they're a creature habit. They're still going to go to the water. Um, you know, and I've heard people say, you know, they'd much rather drink out of the water tank than a puddle, especially if it's like muddy, you know, really muddied up puddles. I don't know. You know, and I, I've tried to look at it from a, a biologist standpoint of view a couple times and, you know, nothing really makes sense to me one way or the other, and I think it's it's a gamble <laughs> one way or the mm-hmm. other that they're going to come. 
I'll be curious. You know, I'll probably actually, I'm going I'm to try to get Brian Rims on here too because I know he likes to hunt who's there in the water, over water in, in the early season. Um, and I know he runs a lot of cameras and stuff, so he might have some uh, technical data on that, you know. Oh, you guys run a lot of cameras. I mean, do you see when it rains, do you see that, that deer aren't showing up to, to the holes right after the rains? Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, I ran about 20 cameras last year, um, you know, because I, you know, I had an elk tag, and I was more or less running them for elk, but um, a lot of deer in the same unit. And, uh, yeah, I did notice that, John, you know. Um, you know, when the monsoons start coming through and they're hitting, you know, and, and it's raining really well, you know, not only the deer, elk, everything, you know, starts declining off the cameras for a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, some of the lower units where it's hotter and it dries out faster, um, you know, they'll tend to come back and start using the water holes a little bit faster than some of the units right. up north. But, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely the pattern we've seen for sure. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that elk here in a minute after I get done with these these questions because that was a I was an absolute stutter on elk and I want to I want to get some I want to get a story on that one. Okay. Um. What are some of the tactics you use during the rut here in Arizona? Now, I know that you guys are primarily spot stalked um, type hunters, so that that part. What are some of the things you do in you hear guys using calls, you hear guys, you know, rattling, you hear guys, you know, ambushing and stuff like that. What, what, what's your, what's your secret sauce? Well, I would say, I would say the number one thing for us is we cover a lot of ground. Um, what I mean by that is, is we're kind of a run and gun tactic in a way. We'll go to a spot, uh, we'll start glassing. And if we're not picking something up within the first 15, 20 minutes, we are moving to the next spot, John. Mm-hmm. And that we, we kind of, we've kind of always hunted that way. It works for us. Right. Uh, we've had other guys that have been with us and they're like, wow, you guys glass an area quick and move. And we do, but you know, it's yeah. effective and it's worked, worked for us, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I second that. I, I'm not quite as fast. Maybe not 15 minutes, but you know, if I'm not seeing something in about a half an hour, I'm I'm out. I moved to another, I moved to another spot, and I kind of I picked that up from Dwayne Adams, you know, 15 years ago, and that tripped me out. That you know, we'd look at a spot, and if we didn't see something, we were we were gone, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically said, if they're not there, they're not there. <laughs> I said, okay, sounds good, <laughs> you know. And I guess yeah. that comes with. That comes with, uh, you know, trusting your glassing ability. So, you know, back then I wasn't super confident with that being, you know, glassing. I was primarily a, you know, a stand hunter or, a, you know, not a, more of a more of a still hunter than a spot and stock hunter. And, um, you know, if I wasn't seeing something, it was just because I felt like I wasn't seeing them. Like they were hiding from me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're real confident, if you're not picking up something right away, especially during the rut when they're moving around a bunch and you know there's it's colder, the deer are up on their feet, and it's it's definitely uh, 
I guess, advised to move to the next spot. So I agree with you yeah. on that one. I mean, I'd like to add, you know, what Dave was saying, you know, I would say 75% of the time we're usually hunting from a side-by-side, you know, razor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we'll we'll know where our number one spot is for the morning where we're going to start off. And, you know, we may be glassing off of the main road, um, you know, main dirt road. We're not necessarily way back in there a lot of times. You know, we'll start off in the, our number one spot. And like Dave said, we'll glass for 15 minutes. We don't see anything. We'll go down the road a half mile, set up glass, and we'll keep right. doing that all day. Now, we've had situations where, you know, we'll pick up a, a shooter buck with some does, um, you know, but the situation isn't right. right. And um, we, we've had it where we've left that buck, kept going, looking for other bucks, maybe finding another buck in a better, you know, stalking situation. Um then circling back to the one that we, we, we left and see maybe, you know, an hour later if we feel like maybe it's in a better spot to stock. So, you know, um, I'd say 75% of the time we're covering ground like that, mm-hmm. which works for us. Um, maybe 25% of the other time is, you know, when we have a buck in an area that we, you know, we want, um, we'll go to that specific area, we'll glass you know, that morning, if we can't pick them up, then we'll stay in that area and get up higher on some different knobs until we pick them up. You know, we will, you know, if we find a buck we want, we will hunt that buck and stay in that spot. Right. But but generally speaking, we, you know, we tell a lot of people, you know, cover as much ground as you can. Um, the other thing I'd like to add is, you know, when we spawn a buck, um, you know, can't say it enough, having what we call the eye in the sky, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a guy up on a on a higher knob glassing for you, you know, whether you're using radios or hand signals, I mean, that's pretty much what we do. You know, once we find a buck, one guy gets up high, the other guy moves in, and, you know, having that guy up high, seeing what's going on at all times is just huge for you. Absolutely. You know, can't, can't say enough about that, but... Um, and well, having somebody who knows how to do that is the biggest thing. There's not, you know, yeah. you know, if you if you haven't done it enough, you know, you can put anybody behind the glass and they're going to tell you, oh yeah, go this way, go that way. But you got to think like the hunter is thinking down there and be able to see the terrain the right way because it doesn't look the same. You, you know, it's always different mm-hmm. when you get down there, mm-hmm. and, and being able to. Ch- uh, judge yardages and stuff like that is, I think, is a is an art in itself. So yeah, and, a, and another thing is, you know, we've we've glassed up a buck that you know we want to shoot, uh, put a stock on him. You know, say he's got you know a handful of does with him. Uh, stock didn't work out. You know, we come back the next day or even the day after, and you know this you know especially during the rut. You know, we picked up that buck a day later by himself, you know, whether he's, he's left that group of does looking for another group. Um, when you can find a buck solo in the rut, that's usually money for us. I mean, that, that's what happened, you know, here this January with Dave's buck he killed. Um, that was a buck that we had seen a week prior, you know, with, I think he had like six or eight does with them. 
I don't remember for sure, but he had a handful of does with them. And then, mm-hmm. you know, a week later we picked him up and he was solo. And, um, you know, that's a perfect situation. I got up high and Gabe moved in and guided him right in and worked out perfect. Nice. So if you if you can catch those those bucks, you know, because they'll, they'll, they'll cover some ground in the rut. You know, they'll, they'll go from, you know, they may be with does, but they'll leave those does and go look for other does. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there because there might have only been one doe that was ready in that group, and you know, he had his business with her, and then he caught a whiff of something else three miles away. He'll go, <laughs> you know, he'll go yeah. for it. Yeah, we killed yeah. a few deer like that, you know, during the rut solo like that, you know, when the bucks leave a leave does looking for other does. Yeah. So I mean, if you can find that situation, that's usually really good for you. I had a buck that was with one doe. It's one of the bucks that I call Bruce Willis. This bastard is just, uh, he's, he's living up to his name. He is so, never sticks around long enough to even get close enough to shoot him. Uh, anyway, he ran this doe probably a total of six miles. And mm. he ended up about three miles away from my, from my spotter's. I, that's how far away I was from them um, when I finally gave up because he just kept getting further and further away. You know, I didn't spook him. Oh, I, when I sat down, I started putting on my sneak tech boots. I was about 400 yards away, and they were bedded down. No chance in hell they could see me or smell me. The doe stood up to stretch, and his ass jumps up because he saw her get up, and he goes right up her ass. And he starts pushing her again. They were, we went like another two miles. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of this time of year. But, um, well, hey, what's your favorite time of year? What's your guys' favorite time of year to, to hunt deer? I, I'd have to say for me, um, it's definitely the rut. Um, you know, being able to hunt close to home. Uh, you know, and our thing, John, is 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 we're primarily mule deer hunters. Um, you know, we've killed coos deer, um, but you know, our passion um, is mule deer, right? And 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 so, having said that, um, being able to hunt, you know, within forty five minutes of the house and chase mule deer that are rutting, um, I I would have to say for me, it's definitely the rut hunt. I agree with you. It's my favorite. It's my favorite having some On top of having some nice weather, you know, you can't beat it hunting deer in the rut. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, this, though, John. Um, hunting velvet bucks in August, um, I will say that the deer are, are very palatable at that time of year. Right. Uh, especially, when they're ba- especially when they're bachelored up. You know, if you can find a good buck in velvet, the chances are he's not leaving that area. Right. And, you know, velvet deer, like I said, are very, very palatable. They tend to do almost the same thing every day. You know, they'll feed the same area, bed the same area. Um, you know, from my experience, they don't go far. Um, but I, I, I would agree with Dave that the rut is definitely my favorite time. 
But yeah. sometimes, you know, that August hunt can, can be really rewarding, too, being able to pattern those big bucks. The velvet deer are my Achilles heel. <laughs> I mean, I shot, I shot a lot of, like, little forkies and a couple of smaller, you know, four points and three points, but I've never killed a big velvet buck. Anywhere. It's crazy. Like, I had some opportunities in Wyoming and in, in Utah and whatever, but every time I end up killing a bucket, it always ends up being hardhorn. Either he just rubbed off or... or most of my most of my bigger muleys are from here, um, are from the rut. Um, but I've never, I don't know, I know it. One, I don't like dealing with the heat. So I feel like I don't spend, I don't spend as much time. And I know my other big problem is I can't glass into the sun. Um, mm-hmm. Something about my eyes, like I can't do it. Like I'll, I can do it for about 10 minutes, and then I'm screwed for the rest of the day. I won't be able to see. Uh, and I know that time of year, you know, to look into the shady slopes and look into the areas that they're going to be hanging out in, I can't look that way. That's mm-hmm. probably my two biggest two biggest problems. So, but um, I don't know. One of these days I'll make it happen on a big, on a big velvet mule. Yeah, you just you need to draw that strip tag. Yeah, I'm getting enough points. I'm getting pretty close for that archery hunt. For sure, I could probably do, probably do it. I think I got seven points. No, no, can't be that many. Maybe not. You just need to put it. You need to put in with Dan. He's drawn it back to back years now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's got that luck. I'm very lucky with tags, though. I'm pretty lucky with tags. People are always accusing me of uh, running some kind of racket where I'm like uh, greasing the the fish and game departments. But uh, yeah, we seem to have some pretty good luck here too lately for tags. That's for sure. Yeah, and you guys got some pretty good ones. So um, tell me about the tell me about the elk, man. It was a unit twenty one, right? Yeah, John, last year um, I drew unit 21. Uh, my son also drew the tag with me. So, um, you know, my goal was really to try to get him his first archery kill. Um, he's really got, you know, really gotten into bow hunting. And um, so kind of went into the hunt, you know, trying to get him a bull. And then, you know, I thought it'd be my best odds of killing my best bull in that unit. A uh, good friend, Brian Rims, I had the tag the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, he killed killed a real nice bull. And, you know, in the past, there's been some, some really big bulls come out of the unit. So I guess I had high expectations going into it for my best bull and, and then trying to get my son a bull. Um, and so I took the hunt, you know, probably probably spent more time scouting on that hunt than any other hunt I've ever done. Um, you know, I ran close to 20 trail cameras, you know, trying to find a big bull and, you know, put about 2000 miles on my razor throughout the whole summertime Jeez. scouting. It, yeah. It would take me three full days 
you know, to make the loop and check all cameras because, you know, that terrain in there is pretty gnarly and yeah, the roads pretty are shitty. pretty rough. Yeah. So spent a lot of time scouting. Um, finally, he had a bull show up on a camera that really caught our attention. Um, seemed to be ahead of every, every other bull horn growth-wise and definitely towered every other bull body size. I mean, he was, he was a big bull. Mm-hmm. And he would end up showing, you know, he would show up on, on three different cameras um, throughout the summer. So he was kind of tough to pattern, um, but he kind of held in one general area. So we kind of knew the area he was in the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I believe it was Tuesday, Tuesday, three days. Let's see, when was that? I want to say it was three days prior to opening day. Um, I ended up locating the bull, and I sat on that bull from dark to dark until Friday morning of the opener, <laughs> watching that bull, just watching his every moves. And, you know, for for people that have hunted Unit 21, you know, that time of year, you know, we're still pushing 100-degree temperatures in that, in that area. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not a traditional elk hunt by no means, but, uh, yeah, I have a lot high of desert. Yeah, it's, it's a, a high it's, desert. It's a high yeah. desert. It's a high desert elk hunt and, uh, you know, a lot of rattlesnakes too on that hunt. Yeah. So you know, you're constantly, you know, watching where you're walking and everything, but, uh, um, ended up having, um, you know, a lot of friends come up and help me on the hunt, um, and was fortunate on day three um, to stock in, you know, stock into the bull and um, get a shot off and and connect on him. And uh, you know, the bull ended up. Uh, Brian Renza ended up scoring it at three three ninety one, I believe it was. Wow! Um, so definitely, definitely a, a giant bull and be a tough one to beat for sure. You'll, you'll figure out a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that happens, that would be good, but I'm pretty content with that bull. <laughs> you'll figure out a way to get a bigger one. I, I know it. So, but and then um, your, son, your son ended up getting one also. Yeah, I was about ready to say um, he ended up. We ended up calling in a bull for him that he shot. Um, I want to say it was the second to the last day of the season. Yep. Um, we stayed really persistent with him. Um, the good thing about 21 is we were able to, you know, he's able to go to school throughout the week, and by the time he came home, we were able to run up and hunt the evenings. Right. And um, he ended up killing a bull the second to last day. Um, made an excellent 60-yard shot. Um, bull took maybe 10 steps and fell over. Um, right. So it just, that, I think, him killing his bull was more of a more of a highlight than me killing my big bull. To be honest with you. Oh yeah, I can see that. You know, that's awesome. I was so, I was there. Then I was there. It was the second to last day because I was there on the last day. Because I know uh, Jake and Shane came up to help you guys pack that bull out, and then I met them the very next morning. They hadn't even gone to sleep yet, and uh, trying to help. Jake get his Jake Donnelly's get his uh, his bull that last day because he had that same tag as you. Yep, 
Yep, that's right. I want to say. Uh, yeah, because we were we were in your razor. <laughs> yeah, I let Jake I let Jake borrow the razor the last day. Um, yeah, and I I want to say we got off the mountain at about four thirty five that morning with Shane's elk, and Jake and those guys went right into the hunt the next morning without any sleep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got in. We got in there. We we he got fifty yards on a bull and just. Uh, didn't have a clear shot. Unfortunately, he uh, ended up throwing up a goose egg for that hunt. But uh, and that's uh, that that unit's tough. It's a, it can be really good, like you said, but it's also a really tough unit. Yeah, so, it's definitely. Uh, you know, it's not a traditional elk hunt by no means. I've had people ask me, and it's 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 something that you definitely need to prepare for if you're going to put in for it. Um, yeah. Matter of fact, I'm not even putting mule deer for it. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's more know, like a mule deer hunt. <laughs> it really is. You know, there's some big bulls there, but, you know, you're constantly looking out for rattlesnakes. I mean, it's 100-degree temperatures. Um, it's definitely, uh, it was definitely a, an interesting hunt for sure. Nice. Well, um, you guys got anything planned for this year so far yet? You know, you're just going to be uh, playing the tag game here. Are you going other places or what? Well, um, we always go to Utah and hunt archery deer there in August. Um, we are going to put in for um, some tags in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Colorado and New Mexico this year. Nice. So hope, hopefully we can get lucky with something. Elk and deer or just deer? Yeah, I think we're going to definitely do deer, Nevada, Colorado, elk for sure, New Mexico. And um, probably even go for sheep over in Nevada. Yeah. They say that's the start- uh, best. Yeah, best chance again. Well, they give the most the most tags for desert sheep mm-hmm. out of any state. I don't really know if your odds yet are any better, but I, I mean, I guess if there's more tags, then you have more odds. But I, I think everybody knows that, and it, your odds don't really get any better because there's that many people <laughs> putting in for them. So, exactly. you know, yeah. So anyhow, but uh, well, that's cool, man. And um. That's all I got you got for you, you know, as far as um, questions and stuff. I'd like to hear about the uh, about the strip tags a little bit before I let you go. Yeah, because um, you guys both scored what was it, was the year before you both got you guys you both got the tag right, and then you and then was it Dave or Dan who drew it the second time? Yeah, so in two thousand, let's see, fifteen. Uh, Dave and I, and actually a buddy of ours, there's three of us who put in on the application. Um, we went in with eight bonus points. Uh, still not really enough to guarantee a tag by any means. Right. Um, we were able to draw 13B archery, which was our first choice. Um, not knowing anything about the strip except for what you read or see, you know, you see, all you see is big bucks most of the time. We right. ended up uh, calling our good buddy Chad Woodruff up 
and uh, ended up doing a scouting package with him. And uh, we went up for one weekend with Chad, and he basically uh, took us to an area. And um, we had another guy draw, Josiah from Ross Outdoors. He was not on our appl application, but he drew, so he went up with us. So there was four of us with a tag. Okay. And um, when we met Chad up there, he basically took Dave and Josiah um, to one area, and he had told me and my buddy to go to this other area, you know, and told us where to set up in glass. And, um, man, me and my buddy went to this spot, and I've never seen so many bucks. I mean, I mean we, we sat in one spot that morning, and we must have seen, you know, 20, 25 bucks. It was amazing. And I actually saw the buck that I killed that morning. And... Um, you know, thinking that we had found a gold mine, we meet up with Dave and, and Chad and, and Josiah later on, and, um, you know, I'm telling them about everything we saw in the, in the one buck, and Dave's like, oh, you should have seen the buck we saw. It happened <laughs> to be the uh, drop time buck. Oh, wow. So here here, here we all split up, and we're all, we all find some really good bucks. We're all excited. And um, so anyways, when the hunt started, you know, that was a scouting package we did, so we were on our own from that point. Um, that was pretty much our goal, was I was going to hunt the buck I, I saw, Dave was going to hunt the buck he saw. And, um, you know, you're hunting in August, the, the bucks are all bachelored up, they're all in velvet. So I was able to pretty much um, find this group of bucks, there was 12 bucks together, and... Um, after two days of watching them, figuring out what they were doing, I was able to pretty much pattern them. And um, what I ended up doing was they had two trails that fed from their um, feeding area over to their bedding area. Uh -huh. And um, they didn't necessarily use this. There was two trails, so it was kind of 50-50 gamble what trail they would use. But I ended up on the third morning, uh, I built a blind about 50 yards off of the trail. And sure enough, here comes all those bucks, single file line. And um, they weren't very alert. They had their heads down. Just Their goal was just to get to their bedding area. And um, ended up coming right down the trail in front of me at 50 yards. Oh, the hardest wow. part was trying to figure out which buck. They were all <laughs> bucks trying to see. figure out. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out which one was the right one was... <laughs> A situation that I'd never been in before, and um, ended up shooting the right buck, double on shot. He went about fifty yards, and um, you know walked over to him. And man, I, I was just you know I have to admit I had tears coming down my eyes. That was definitely a dream come true for sure. Wow. Uh, Brian Ramsey ended up gross scoring that buck at two seventeen. Thanks. And then I'll let Dave tell his story. Yeah, so uh, like Dan was saying, um, you know, when we went up there scouting, um, he had found his target buck, and I and I had found the drop-time buck with Chad, and I was pretty dead set on that drop-time buck, regardless of score, John, just having that big dropper like that. Oh, yeah. Something I yeah, I mean, I had to have that deer. Uh -huh. And... Um, 
you know, we had seen him scouting um, pretty close to a water hole that we thought he had been, you know, would be using. Um, when we arrived two days before the hunt opened, we had checked the camera and he was not on that water hole at all. <laughs> and we actually hadn't seen the deer the first couple of days of the hunt. Nobody had laid eyes on him. And I can't, we had four other tag holders camp down the road from us. Um, and they would kept, they kept coming over asking us, you know, if they could sit some ground blinds we had set out. And uh, we kept letting them sit that ground blind on that water hole, you know, where we, where we had seen the drop time. Right. And um, they, you know, they would come back and say, oh, we missed a couple bucks, you know. We, we had some shots. We had some deer come in. Finally, on the, I want to say it was the fourth evening, I just decided that, you know, I'm going to go down there and sit that water hole this time. Um, you know, I haven't seen the drop time buck at all, but didn't have a whole lot going on. So I said, I'm going to go ahead and sit it that evening. Got down there, got in the ground blind. It's probably there for about an hour and a half. Deer started slowly starting to come in. And then I look over to my left, and the drop tying buck with two other bucks were just oh. coming at a. I mean, they were just coming right for the water, man. They didn't even hesitate. And I tell you what, you know, I stay pretty composed usually. Um, I gotta admit, when I seen that drop tying coming in, I was I was pretty excited. I was shaking pretty good. Oh yeah. You know, and. Um, he ended up coming in the water. Um, he put his head down. He was 45 yards, and I ended up making a really good shot on him. He had, he was drinking water, and he had picked his head up to kind of walk out of the water hole, so he was at that point kind of quartering away, and that's when I took the shot. Mm-hmm. Put the arrow, perf- perfect placement. Um, he ran maybe 30 yards and fell over. Nice. And nice. Kind of like what Dan said, walking up to that deer was pretty emotional for me. Um, regardless yeah. of what he scored, I just it was a buck I wanted, and, and um, you know Brian Rims, I ended up scoring it, gross scoring it at like two hundred five and two eights, I believe. And so for for both of us, to, that's kind of been a goal, you know, in our bow hunting. You know, as long as we've been bow hunting, we both wanted to kill a. A mule deer over 200 inches. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so to do it in the same hunt, the same year for us was 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 pretty pretty awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, I know if I draw that tag, I know who I'm giving a call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling your Costas and your buddy. <laughs> we're going to go find me a 200 inch. I've been just like everybody else. You know, so. Uh, that trophy hunt anyway i'm not i don't really call myself a trophy hunter but um yeah i want to join the 200 club myself really bad i've had i've had some close some close calls i've missed a couple 200 inch bucks unfortunately <laughs> but uh yeah no i definitely would love to uh i'd love to get a big one especially in velvet that would be like the icing on the cake knowing my history with velvet bucks um Sweet. And uh, you, the one you got this past year was uh, it was a big son of a bitch too. What uh, 
What about no, actually, John, actually the, the last year um, on the strip, I I was pretty picky. Um, and what a fun hunt it was. I mean, you know, the year before I'd only hunted, you know, the third morning I'd killed. So I really mm-hmm. took last year to the to the end. Um, you know, I got to admit, I passed a, a quite a few bucks um, within bow range that, you know, would score... 185 to 195-ish. Um, a matter of fact, on the second morning, I was sitting the same trail. I had this buck, two bucks come in. One one was a four by five. I had them at about one, 185 and a two point. And they come right down the trail, but instead of coming fully down the trail, they turned off the trail and caught right in front of me at 18 yards. And, um, they bedded there eighteen at eighteen yards away for about forty five minutes. Never experienced anything like that in my life. It was awesome. <laughs> um, I decided I didn't want to shoot that buck. It was the second morning. It was early in the hot. There was two other bucks I was chasing and um, passed a lot of good bucks. But the buck I ended up wanting to shoot, I ended up stalking the thirty yards of that buck. But um, you know, that, that scrub oak was just so thick I couldn't see that deer, and he ended up jumping out of his bed, and um, he went out at about 60 yards, and I ended up making a bad shot on that deer, and we ended up oh, tracking that, trying to look, we ended up trying to look, he was a 4 by 8 he was, he, that deer wasn't about score for me, he was just, I loved his character on him. Right. And um, we ended up looking for that buck for like three days, and just never ever could seal the deal on that deer. Could could not oh. find him. But yeah, it was oh, like I, th- really, I really thought I had seen an, I thought I had seen another picture floating around with the other but maybe I was uh, confusing it with the ones from the year before. Well, I wish yeah. I wish you would have seen. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just, sometimes that's just the way it goes, you know. Uh, not yeah, everyone's yeah. successful. And um, but no, it was a, that's a, if you can draw that tag, I I think everybody should you know at least experience that hunt once for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I might have to, I might have to start looking at that for sure. Well, boys, I want to thank you guys for coming on and, uh, you know, sharing some of your wisdom and uh, your stories with us. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll have you guys on again eventually. Maybe talk about some elk hunting or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was cool, you know. End of the season now. You guys going to be doing any spring hunts or anything or just? Uh... Um, you know, our boys, have a, our boys have a junior turkey hunt, I think, in April. Okay. Um, so we'll, that will be our next adventure, I guess. Um, and then after that, it just, you know, just wait, wait till see season. what tags. Yeah, see yeah. what happens with tags and season and go from there. Cool. All right, man. Well, best of luck. Hope you guys draw some good tags, and uh, I'm anxious to see what you guys uh, pull out in 2017. Thanks for having us, John. All right. Thanks, John. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out daysinthewild.com, and be sure to give us a review on iTunes. Thank you, and we'll check you out on the next episode.